what the f you think is my opinion of it. I think it was f put that in. I don't. So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Talk about the past, talk about the history, and talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we can talk about. I would say I would know, but I would say the reason why they want to ask is baseball going into the baseball sport that has gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember. It's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this he sucks. Well, the Yankees win. He's out. Yes, Brad is out. Look, look at this. Brad is out. And uh, team is mad. I'm not here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. It's been run cleaner than any baseball business Oh, yeah. Welcome back. Pass Ball Show, MTR Radio Network. Of course, this is John Pielli. We're going to knock out a solid second hour to Pass Ball Show today. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Um, listen, we're getting into, obviously, spring training. You got Grapefruit League. You got Cactus League action going on. Talked a little bit about the Mets and the Yankees in the first hour. Talked about some of what maybe the bottom teams, the teams that aren't really looking to compete this season. So, you know, as, as we move forward, we obviously look at, you know, every, every fan, every person that covers a team really feels that they have a chance to not only compete but to win it all. I mean, you, you obviously go out there as a fan of baseball. You love the game. But whatever team you root for, you want to think that they have a chance to maybe either exceed expectations or if you're one of those teams that are expected to win, to go out there and get the job done. And right now, one thing that, you know, for certain, everybody's on as fair of a ground right now. Yeah, everybody is on the same level, in the same position, in the same spot. And I think those are all things that have to be looked at. For, for this reason and, you know, for and, and pretty much for, for any reason in regards to what has to happen or what will or what shouldn't happen. Now, uh, you know, obviously you see everything going on with the World Baseball Classic, so a lot of teams are out there in spring training running out minor leaguers now, and a lot of players that are playing right now are not going to give you the impression that they're going to be able to go out there and and, and, and uh, run these guys out, run out the team that you may, may or may not see right now when it comes to what the team is going to look like. Obviously, great players, top players, important players that are going to be part of certain teams are not with them right now. They left whatever the last day of February, first day of March, and are playing for their respective countries in a World Baseball Classic. And I think, you know, you can't really jump to really anything that you've seen right now. I mean, there, there's been some, you know, some speculation, some talk about, you know, let's say a guy like Roy Halladay isn't hitting his top velocity right now. Joel Hanrahan hasn't looked so good with Boston. And, and I think a lot, of, a lot of people just get a little too bent out of shape over this because, number one, it's the first couple weeks of spring training. And number two, is there anything that is any more overrated than performance uh, that a team has during spring training? Because 
I have a hard time looking at this like this. I don't think you could go in there and say that just because you went out there and you got Josh Hamilton, that Josh Hamilton should go out there and hit 350 with a bunch of home runs and a bunch of RBIs in spring training. And if he doesn't, does that mean that he was a bad signing? He's going to be a bust. He's a terrible ball player. I think people get too bent out of shape over it. I know you can make the correlation last year with Frank Francisco giving up a couple home runs early on in spring training and saying, hey, this is going to be the New York Mets closer. You know, we can't possibly trust this guy. And the problem I have with that is, is that particularly when you're talking about pitchers, the, the job that they have in spring training, particularly in the first couple weeks, is to go out there and throw. Throw some pitches, throw your fastball, locate it, and not necessarily worry about what the results are. And too many people get caught up in results in spring training. Are we going to jump on the bandwagon at the Kansas City Royals and the Seattle Mariners because they've gotten off to great starts in spring training? The answer is no, you can't. You can't jump and go at, go get all bent out of shape over how a team does over the course of the first couple weeks of spring training. Because let's be honest, I mean... Number one, half the players are playing in a World Baseball Classic. Half the teams that the teams that are doing well against uh, do not have their full squads out there. And let's be honest, the last three, four, sometimes even five innings of a game in spring training are filled with minor league players, guys who won't even see the major leagues this season. So I know we're all excited about baseball. We all want to see the sport come back. We're all glad for a new season. But stop overanalyzing and micromanaging the results of a game that happens in the beginning of March. First of all, the results don't matter. If you ever see a walk-off, and I, you know, I've, been, I've been to my share of spring training games, if you ever see a walk-off in the first couple weeks of spring training, nobody even comes out of the dugout. There's no emotion involved. The fact that a team wins or loses in one of these games means very little, if anything at all. Yes, there are some people, some players that are pitchers that are going out there competing for jobs, but it doesn't mean very much. And that's, that's, that's all the way, the way it has to be looked at. Because you, you get too bent out of shape over this. You start saying that, hey, my, my uh, AL pennant is going to be between the Seattle Mariners and the Kansas City Royals. Now, listen, I actually look at both of those teams and say that they could be good this year, particularly the Royals. I picked the Royals to actually make the postseason as a wild card team this year. And I, I think there's other people that probably agree with me. I, I like what they did with their rotation. They obviously didn't make the best of a move when it comes to the future of the Kansas City Royals by trading Will Myers and trading uh, Jake Andrasi and you know a couple of the guys that they moved to get James Shields and Wade Davis from the Tampa Bay Rays. But this is a team that could be ready this year. And we've talked about it for the last couple of years about how they've developed some young players. They've got you know, stars and you know, Eric Hosmer and possibly Mike Moustakis. And, you know, you look at the guys that they have out there, and, yes, they could compete. The one issue that they had last year, the one thing that destroyed them, that kept them out of a pennant race within the first couple months of the season was their starting pitching, which was absolutely terrible. And, you know, they went out there and they made the trade for Jonathan Sanchez last year. They traded Melky Cabrera. Melky Cabrera, obviously, if you look at his first half, he might have been the MVP of baseball in the first half of the season. Obviously, we know it was all artificially enhanced. And, you know, you take credibility away from that. But 
if you analyze that trade of Jonathan Sanchez from the Giants to the Royals in exchange for Melky Cabrera, it obviously looked like it was one-sided and one-sided towards the Giants because Jonathan Sanchez was terrible. Now, Sanchez was the guy that the Royals were hoping that they could slot in their rotation and help you know, nurture some of the other pitchers that they had, and it didn't work out. But what the Royals got out of it, and I don't think anybody could have predicted this, but what they got is a starter that they have in their rotation this year, and that's Jeremy Guthrie, who was ended up being traded to the Colorado Rockies from the Baltimore Orioles in a trade for Matt Lidstrom and um, Jason Hamill, and uh, and ends up struggling immensely with the Colorado Rockies. And who doesn't struggle when they pitch for the Colorado Rockies? I mean, Coors Field, the whole thing. Obviously, it's not a good spot to pitch in. You know, you could tell by the history of pitchers pitching in that ballpark that nobody pitches for the Colorado Rockies and dominates. And Jeremy Guthrie was no exception to the rule. He struggled for the Rockies. He ends up going over in a trade to the Kansas City Royals for Jonathan Sanchez. And though Sanchez continued to struggle, Guthrie kind of found himself a little bit. You know, the, the gamer that he is, the guy that's the bulldog, is going to go out there and give you seven innings. Sometimes he gives up four or five runs, but he's going to go out there and throw his 100, 120 pitches and keep you in the game. And the Royals uh, appreciated this by giving him a three-year contract. Now, when we were talking before about bad contracts and overpaying for somebody, maybe the Royals overpaid a little bit, but not necessarily in money. Because they did give themselves a little bit of a team-friendly contract over the three years that they signed Jeremy Guthrie for. Maybe the question is the length. The, the, long, the length of this contract being three years for a guy that's in his 30s, that a guy who has not really shown that he could be an ace at this stage of his career. But I like what the Royals did there. They bring him in, and he's going to be probably a three or four on that staff. You got Irvin Santana that you made the trade with the – Los Angeles Angels for who it really should be better than what he was last year. If he if he if he ends up struggling, then yes, it becomes a bad move. But I think Irvin Santana and James Shields added to that rotation gives them the ability to compete. And particularly in an American League Central that, you know, has some competition. And in my opinion, some teams look good. Some teams some teams, you know, talk about how good a a uh, you know a division is based on how top heavy it is. You know when you're talking about the American League Central, you want to get into the Detroit Tigers and the fact that they won the uh, the NL pennant last year and they ran over you know ran away with you know things towards the end and made it to the World Series. But let's be honest, the Tigers struggled for an extensive part of last season, and it was the Chicago White Sox who nobody believed in at all. I didn't I didn't buy into the Chicago White Sox until really the second half of the season when they kind of proved themselves to be for real. But it just goes to show that it's not as etched in stone as it's going to be. The Detroit Tigers of the world aren't, aren't going to go out there and always win the 95 to 100 games and make the divisions not worth worrying about as far as who's going to win. So that being said, uh, the Royals are an interesting topic because this is a team that has grown. If you look at what the Washington Nationals did last year, they developed some young players, they put some veterans around it, and they kind of all clicked at once. Why can't the Kansas City Royals do that this season? You know, the Royals were a lot of people's sleeper team when we were talking about last season. And, you know, why can't they be that team? 
Because let's be honest, you look at the other teams in that division, and yes, the Cleveland Indians have gone out there and made a lot of moves. They've spent some money. They got, you know, they made the Michael Bourne and Nick Swisher signings. They added some pitchers who may not be necessarily uh, top quality. I mean, you talk about a guy like Dice K Matsuzaka, you're not expecting the Dice K of 2007. But they, they address the pitching by quantity and may have some pitchers that may be able to compete. But I don't think anybody's really going out there and buying in to the Cleveland Indians. You got the Indians, you got the Chicago White Sox, who may have been expected a little bit to try to build on what they did last year and may have been considered a team that would be a little more active in free agency and trades when it comes to the, you know, the offseason. And they weren't. So that's going to sour the opinion of some baseball experts and people that cover the game and people that follow the American League Central. But that being said, I think you know any one of these teams can compete. Am I saying that the division is going to be all bad and the Royals are going to be all good? No, because I can see the Cleveland Indians you know, maybe making a run in this division or a wild card. I could also see the Chicago White Sox maybe backing up what they did last year. You know, if you look at Jake Peavy and what he did for the Chicago White Sox last year, if you look at the emergence of Chris Sale, how he went from a guy who was a, who, who was a late-inning relief pitcher to a star like he did last season, if he could back that up with another season like he had in 2012, that starting rotation looks a lot better because you got Gavin Floyd, you got John Danks, you know, two stable guys to finish off that rotation. And listen, I, I could see it, it be a good race here. I, I don't think it's going to be that etched in stone that the Detroit Tigers are going to run away with this division. But in the end, do I see the Tigers being logical, a logical choice to win 95 to 100 games and take this division? Absolutely. I mean, you have to be silly to say that the Tigers don't look like they have the best team in that division. I mean, this is a team that you know went out there and signed Prince Fielder when they already had Miguel Cabrera. And you, know, you forget pretty quick that they signed Torrey Hunter this year. They have a very good starting rotation with Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer and Doug Fister and Annabelle Sanchez and Rick Porcello as the number five starter. And you know we tend to forget pretty quickly that they didn't have Victor Martinez with them for the entire 2012 season. You add his bat to the lineup as a full-time DH. And, you know, in my, in my opinion, we're looking at something that is, is a little bit crazy because, you know, you, you look at it from this perspective that the Tigers may have gotten better. A team that won the AL pennant may have gotten better. You're going to have Annabelle Sanchez for an entire season. Like I just mentioned with Victor Martinez, you're going to have him as well. And I think those are two things that really have to be looked at. And, you know, it would be silly if you're predicting logically, if you're predicting logically for uh, a team to go out there and duplicate what they did last year, yes, the Detroit Tigers will be a favorite because as good of a team as they had last year, they went out there and they got better. They didn't really have a right fielder last year. And you put Torrey Hunter, you take him out of the Los Angeles Angels lineup where he was productive over the last several seasons, and you put him into that Detroit Tiger lineup with Prince Fielder and with Miguel Cabrera. And you add Victor Martinez, and you say, oh, shit, the, the lineup's a little deep. And you put that in there with their solid starting rotation. Rick Porcello, if he's not traded, is going to be their number five starter. He could be a three on a lot of teams and may even be higher on a couple other teams. This is a team that's pretty stacked. But 
pennants aren't won with what happens in the offseason. And the Tigers do have experience by getting to the postseason, being a perennial team, going out there and doing their thing. But I think the, there's going to be competition. I throw the Royals in, I throw the Indians in, and I throw the Chicago White Sox in, the one team that I probably don't think really has the ability to compete in that division or at the very least for a chance to win a wild card is the Minnesota Twins. And I, I listen, I look at the Minnesota Twins and I don't understand. Yeah, listen, maybe I'm not going to be too critical of the Twins because this is a team that's been in transition for a couple of years. Some of, some of their talent kind of went elsewhere and their farm system kind of died. Their farm system kind of weakened itself and they got to a point where there was really no more fruit to pull out of the farm system. You look at what happened for the last several years before that, when they were winning 90-plus games every year under Ron Gardenhire, is they kept bringing in players that continued to contribute, and they contributed pretty quickly when it came into you know perspective and what they were trying to do. In my opinion, I think the Twins are going to have a tough season, but in their defense— they had one glaring need in the offseason, and they went out there and did the best they could to try to address it. And I give them credit for trying, and I give them credit for making the proper effort that needed to be made to address issues that they had in their starting rotation because their starting rotation last season was pathetic. It was as bad as it could possibly be. And it, I think, honestly, if it wasn't for what happened with the Colorado Rockies and their pitching staff, and as bad as that was, we would spend a lot more time talking about how bad the Minnesota Twins are and were. But they went out there and they added Vance Worley in a trade with the Philadelphia Phillies for Ben Revere. They added Kevin Correa as a free agent. They added Mike Pelfrey as a free agent. And they, they added themselves a little bit of depth. Because let's be honest, I mean, they only had, what, Scott Diamond, he threw out, what, 150, 160 innings, and he pitched very well for them. But other than that, their neck, the, the guy with the most innings pitch was Brian Dunsing, who only made 11 starts and spent most of the time in the bullpen. Francisco Liriano pitched 100 innings even before he was traded to the Chicago White Sox. So they didn't get any durability. They didn't get any strength out of their starting rotation last year. I think it could be better. I really do. I, I really do think that this is, a, this is a team that's rotation could look a little better. But right now, listen, they're in a tough they're in a tough spot because the other teams either were better coming in or made moves to try to do better than they were. And I have a hard time believing in the Minnesota Twins, a team that traded Bernard Spann, a team that traded Ben Revere. What where are they gonna replace him with? They got they got young journeyman type players filling in. And unless Justin Morneau goes out there and you know is like gangbusters and has that contract walk year type of season, I, I, I don't see the Twins competing. And I just think that you can look at every other team in that division, the White Sox, the Indians, the Royals, the Tigers, and say, listen, they're all simply better. And, and listen, that happens before. I mean, let's be honest. If you're a New York guy, if you follow the Mets at all, you'll realize that the Mets are in the same spot. The Mets may be building for something good in the future, but right now there's four there's maybe three teams definitively that are better than them in the National League East. And there's nothing you can do about that. You gotta let 
you know, your players develop. And if you're the Minnesota Twins, you got a guy by the name of Kyle Gibson, a right-hand pitcher who is expected to make an impact at the major league level this season. And you got a outfield prospect by the name of Brian Buxton, who was drafted number two overall in the draft to, you know, two years ago. He's a guy that's on a fast track to the major league. He's only 19. He has a chance to be that five-tool type of player, the guy that could really go out there and do his thing. And that being said, I, I think there's promise if you're a fan of the Minnesota Twins, but nothing really to look forward to this year. And I said it in my post when I was ranking the Minnesota Twins number 28 out of 30 teams on the 30-to-1 MLB countdown, johnpielli.com, mtrradio.com, slash johnpielli, the whole thing. When I was getting into that, I was factoring in just there's not enough right now. And that's the problem. And if Ron Gardenhire went out there and he was a star, you know, and this team exceeded expectations, maybe finished 500, then you got to talk about Ron Gardenhire possibly being the best manager in all of Major League Baseball. And, you know, that, that you know, you know, looking at it that way, I mean, that's really what it's going to take. I mean, let's be honest. If Terry Collins went out there and won 85 to 90 games with the New York Mets this year, all of a sudden the stock of Terry Collins, may, you know, the, 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 the talk of Terry Collins being a top manager is going to have to, you know, be changed. You're going to have to look at this guy as a top manager if he took a team that really is rebuilding and got them to compete at the level of the Oakland Athletics last year under Bob Melvin, uh, you know, even Davey Johnson with the Washington Nationals, Buck Showalter, of course, with the Baltimore Orioles, then you got to start giving credit to the manager. And that's really the kind of things that happen in seasons like this because you got 162 games. It doesn't all go the way that we all, as experts, predict in the beginning of the season. There's going to be teams that are going to get off to good starts that are going to fade so, so incredibly the opposite direction that you're going to be like, all right, that's why we didn't predict them to be any good. But there might be a team or two like the Athletics and Orioles of last year or the Diamondbacks of two years ago or the San Diego Padres of three years ago. A team like that that's going to – take the whole strength and endurance challenge and go out there and be an 85-91 team when we expected them to win about 60 games. That happens in Major League Baseball, and that's you know a token to the parity of the game and the fact that teams could change from one year to the next. A, t a team... You know, let's say, you know, and I, I'm going to go the extreme here to say to Houston Astros, let, let's say Fernando Martinez goes out there, hits 325 homers, 100 RBIs. Let's say Justin Maxwell goes out there, hits 20 home runs, drives in 80 runs. Matt Dominguez hits, goes 20-80. Chris Carter hits 30 and 115. And all of a sudden we talk about the baby boppers of the Houston Astros going out there leading the league in home runs. That's going to change the impact of the team. That's going to change the perception from a team that's going to lose 100, maybe 120 games, maybe even more, to a team that could finish 500 or even better. And that's what I think is great about this game of baseball because we follow you know, the teams. And, and yes, there's criticism about the season being too long, but because it's too long, there's so many ups and downs, and every team really does have a chance. Unless you go out there and you're the 1988 Baltimore Orioles and you start the season 0-21, you have a chance even after the first month of the season. And if you could kick it together at every point, at any point, if you can make your highs be a little better than your lows, then I think it's something worth looking at. But listen, we're going to take a little bit of a break. We're going to finish up the show right here, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Um, you know, we'll be back after this.
I'm Ron Sulpizi from the MTR Sports Report. Not sure where to eat? Then listen to these reviews. Awesome. Amazing Greek food. Everything is fresh. Great family restaurant in the heart of Ocean City. Katina's is an Ocean City staple. When you've had your fill of pizza, cheesesteaks, and ice cream, head for Katina's. Katina's Gyro Restaurant, 501 East 9th Street, Ocean City, New Jersey, 609-399-5525. Check out their website, katinasfoods.com. That's katinasfoods.com. Order their famous Mediterranean dressing, and they'll ship it right to your door. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, Katina's Greek Restaurant. Hey everyone, this is Joe Lamort from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to mtrradio.com. We're on 24-7. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MTR Radio. Don't forget to tap that app in the Android market and iPhone App Store. Search MTR Radio on your handheld device. Tap that app. Everybody's doing it. <laughs> MTR Radio. Welcome to MTRRadio.com. You can listen to our live programming Monday through Friday. Get your voice heard by calling us at 609-910-0687 and on Facebook and Twitter at MTR Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTRRadio.com. Check out the Android Marketplace and iPhone App Store for the MTR Radio app. 24-7 streaming live and on demand. MTR. Welcome back. Past Ball Show on TR Radio Network. Of course, this is John Pielli finishing you up here. In a little bit, we're going to play our interview with former Major League pitcher Al Herboski, of course, known as the Mad Hungarian. Um, we're going to finish up the program with that. And, uh, you know, I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. You know, great job, Andy McAuliffe, Jeff Juden, the whole thing. Um, I do have one uh, a spot that I got to read for, uh, for um, uh, Hooters which we're going to be doing a, a remote broadcast on the 18th of March. David Dobin, of course, the host of the David Dobin Show, he does a phenomenal job talking all sports, and obviously this, this part of the year gets real heavy in the baseball. Um, he's going to be hosting his show live from there. But um, I just want to make sure uh, I get this thing out there. Watch all, all the March Madness action at Hooters of Princeton. Monday's special cheeseburger and fries, six ninety nine. Uh, Tuesday, 5 p.m. to close. All you can eat wings, $14.99 per person. And all you fantasy baseball players, check this out. The MLB and Hooters have paired up. Hooters will be hosting MLB draft parties. Book yours today. It's free, free Wi Fi, free draft kit. Uh, your own personal Hooters girl. Come down to Hooters in Princeton at 400 Mercer Mall, Lawrenceville, New Jersey, number 609 520 So. Yeah, definitely check that out. Of course, on uh, 18th, uh, Dove Dobin will be there, uh, the whole MTR crew. Um, sure sure to be a great time, so definitely get involved in that. But once again, once here, we're trying to finish up the past ball show. We're going to get into a little bit of this Dayton baseball history. And, uh, you know, I'm going to try to catch this on a fly here. Um, 
you know, obviously, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, March the 7th here. And, you know, you could go back to some of the games in 2006 in the inaugural World Baseball Classic. Um, the USA beat Mexico today 2-0 two, two um, in 2006 with Derek Lee and Chipper Jones being kind of stars at a game. Jake Peavy, you know, was a, was a big factor to that team. Uh, Bernie Williams led Puerto Rico to a, a 2-1 to one victory over Panama in Pool D. Uh, where Adrian Beltre and David Ortiz hit home runs to leave Dominican Republic past Venezuela. So that's a, you know, if you remember, obviously, the World Baseball Classic going on now, you remember the World Baseball Classic in its inaugural season, which was seven years ago. And I can't believe it's been that long since it started. But, um, you know, definitely trying to remember some of the things going on in baseball history at this point. A couple guys enshrined in the Hall of Fame. Hack Wilson, of course, known as being the, all, the all-time leader for most runs batted in in a season. And longtime exec Warren Giles were elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame by the Veterans Committee, and that's in 1979. And, it, you know, uh, certainly uh, well-deserved. Maybe uh, Hack Wilson didn't have the whole career that uh, a lot of other Hall of Famers have, but is known for obviously having that, that moment, you know, having all those RBIs in a season, a ridiculous season that he had for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, Hall of Famer James Pud Galvin died on this day in 1902 at the age of 45. He won, of course, 361 games over the course of a 14-year career, 14 year career where he was uh, in a tie for, four, for sixth place on the all-time wins list. Uh, he won to com- combine 92 games in 1883 and 1884, a ridiculous amount of, you know, ridiculous number for two seasons, 92 wins in two seasons, which is something unbelievable and obviously will never close to happen again in Major League Baseball history. Christy Mathewson rejoined the Giants on this day as pitching coach in 1919, coming back from World War One, and he was uh, set as a heir apparent to John McGraw who was obviously the longtime manager, won the World Series championship in 19-5, and, you know, really was considered one of the best managers in the history of Major League Baseball. But listen, uh, you know, I want to thank everybody for joining into the program today. I hope you guys enjoyed yourself. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, probably about 30 seconds or so, and we'll get you right into our interview with Al Herboski. And uh, we'll ch- check you out next week, man. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, johnple.com. So we'll... Well, take care, guys. No, 
Absolutely, man. And obviously, starting in 1985, the Cardinals made the World Series that year. They've won, what, three pennants, two World Series, really under, you know, they've, they've had the chance to broadcast. And it must be exciting, man. I mean, I'm sure after a while, you, you take kind of the, uh, the impression of being, like, part of the team, you know? Well, I think that's part of it. You know, you go to the ballpark, you know, the same place, and uh, the only difference is your ERA doesn't go up anymore. But uh, I'm also a fan, and so it gives me a chance to see some of the best players uh, in the world. And you know, when you think about uh, you know the Aussie Smiths, but uh, uh, the Carpenter Wainwrights, you know, and Matt Morris's all through Albert's career up until last year, and then now the new bunch of guys coming in. But, uh, very, very fortunate, as I said in the past, that uh, the Cardinals are consistently up there in the upper division and, and most of the time going to postseason. So that makes the job a lot easier for everyone. Yeah, no question about it. Once again, it's John Piel. I'm here with former Major League pitcher Albert Brodsky, who does a who does uh, the Cardinals games. He's been doing it for almost, you know, what, the 29th year now. Now, Al, as, as your career started, you spent a lot of time pitching for the Cardinals up until about uh, 77. But as a, as a relief pitcher, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you have some uh, opinion when it comes to what uh, what saves were then and really how the uh, save uh, statistic has really become uh, kind of uh, overinflated over the last several years. I mean, you, you saved a lot of big games for the, for the Cardinals during your time, you know, and also with the Royals. And really, the, the way that the, the ninth inning closer has kind of changed. I mean, your stats probably don't speak volumes for what you really did in that time. Well, it is, it is bit different. And, you know, of course, there are times where I've got uh, a third of an inning saves, too. Um, but there are also times where, you know, it's three innings. Um, it was a lot different. I think it's better the way the managers treat the relief pitchers today. Most of the guys in my era or prior had short careers. They might have had nice runs, but they were short careers because you know, basically from the seventh inning on, you know, you warmed up if, if your team was behind by one run, even or ahead. Uh, you warmed up and went along with the pitcher that was in the game, and you only came in the game that he faltered. So, uh, you, you would never take a guy out just because it's the same situation. And quite frankly, I never wanted to pitch in those situations. Uh, I only wanted to pitch when the game was on the line. Um, but if, if somebody was doing a job ahead of me, um, I, I felt he deserved that opportunity to finish the ball game. So um, I don't buy into the fact that uh, everybody tries to make the, the, the final inning so tough. I think they psych out more young pitchers than they, than they help. But uh, it, it has evolved and it's changed for the most part. I, I think they take better care of the, of the closers now today. Yeah, now, now once again, it's John Piel. I'm here with Al Herbosky. Now, you know, talking about psyching out, you obviously, you know, you were known as the man Hungarian. You got that a whole little intimidation thing that you did before, uh, before, you, before you came into the game, before you started pitching. Tell us a little bit about how that originated and really what, uh, what motivated you to want to to wanna kind of have that persona. Well, it really originated because I was about ready to go back to the Meyer Lakes. Uh, in 1974, I was the team's closer, and I got off to a horrendous start. And, I mean, I was just, I just had a lack of concentration, just really, um, really struggling. And, uh, and I, the Cardinals were actually about ready to send me down to the Meyer Lakes. And somebody, thankfully, asked Ted Simmons, my catcher, and he said, what's wrong with Al? And he said, don't worry about it, he'll figure it out. And Jack Buck, our Hall of Fame broadcaster, is the one that mentioned that to 
Ken Rocky Herzog, who is the manager of the Cardinals and also a very good friend of the Cardinal general manager, Ben Devine, uh, kind of said, I'll take, I'll take Al because we wanted the left-handed pitcher to neutralize, you know, like you said, Chambliss, Reggie Jackson, the left-handed bats in the Yankee lineup, because that was kind of, they had just gone two years in a row where they were stopped by the Yankees. Well, it ended up being my first year at Kansas City. You know, the Yankees got the Royals again as, as uh, uh, you know, uh, they beat, beat, uh, beat us in the, in the first round of uh, division play. And uh, so, you know, I helped somewhat, but didn't use to, to where the Royals wanted to go. But, you know, it, it was just one of those situations like Rattel and, and also Buck Martinez was, was in that deal. Uh, he went from Kansas City to St. Louis, but then they Cardinals traded him for George Brader. That uh, I know some of the Yankees fans will remember. Uh, but you know, it was a situation where I really enjoyed going to Kansas City um, and playing for Wayne Herzog and, and playing with my teammates in Kansas City, also. Yeah, no question about it. Once again, it's John P. Ellingham here with Al Herbosky. Now, you know, you, you move on. Did, did you feel that that '78 Royal team had a chance to win it all? I mean, I mean, I know, like, you look at, you know, what had happened a couple of years before and you weren't there. Now, you know, did you did you feel like they really, they finally had what it took to take the Yankees in a series like that? Well, I think you always think you're going to win that series, but as it turned out, and remember that's, you know, one of the best three out of five. And, yes. You know, you, you know, you just, you know, we just didn't hit. The first, first game, uh, if you remember, that was when, you know, the Yankees and Red Sox. Red Sox had the big 13, 15 game lead about halfway through the 78 season. And then the Yankees uh, caught them and, and in the one game playoff where Bucky did hit the home run off Mike Torres. Absolutely. Um, you know, we, we were expected to play Red Sox, and all of a sudden, all the thing the Yankees do is one more game that they had to win again. Uh, so they show up in St. Louis, and they just kind of blew us out of the water that first game. We won the next day. Uh, but then we went into uh, Yankee Stadium. Uh, I think the first game, you know, George Brett had three home runs and we lost the game. Uh, then the next the next day, um, I'm at one of the games. I'm, I'm warming up to the bullpen. Okay, we're we're leading two to one. Uh, Munson's up. Doug Bird's throwing throwing pitch. Jackson's on deck. I'm warming up because I know I've got Reggie Jackson. After the next inning, so I'm thinking I'm going to get a save and take and either even it, up, I think it would even it up or, or whatever it would have done to the series. But uh, and that's when Munson hit the the uh, two run home run instead of coming in and pick up a save. I'm coming in just trying to keep it a one run deficit. And when you talk about an emotional swing, you know. And yeah, it just it just was you know, I mean I got Jackson out, we got out of that inning, uh, but we just never overcome that one run loss and, and uh, I can't remember what happened the next game, I just remember it probably was a little more lopsided because I didn't pitch in the final game, but uh, uh, they beat us three games to one. Now listen, man, it happens sometimes. Yeah, you know, once again, it's John Piel. I'm here with former Major League pitcher Al Arbosky. Uh Broadcast games now for almost the last 29 years for the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, Al, in uh, you know before the 1980 season, you signed a deal with the Atlanta Braves. You end up spending the last three years of your career there, and then you know I believe what did you voluntarily retire or you were released in the '82 season? What happened then? Um, yeah, I was released. You know, 
Thanks a lot. Sounds good, John. Appreciate it. 